Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John, Father Mike, I'm reaching for my Hey, hey, hey. Uh, we're a little gun shy today because Father Mike was recently told that he had too much nostril breathing into the uh, microphone oh, by that's a true. recent uh, uh, podcast listener. I've turned my across, head. So. We'll see if that helps. But you were just telling me before we started here the in the Semitic culture, the sign of a relaxed person is... Big big nostrils. Big nostril breaths. Yeah, in so the Semitic languages. So you would say, um, instead of saying like a hothead, somebody who's got a short temper, yep. you say um, tight nostrils. Tight nostrils. And that's kind of... Yeah, in Arabic and in Hebrew. I don't know if that works in modern Hebrew, but anyway, the <laughs> random, random, random uh, stuff. Random for facts day. for you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, we've had a, a wild and crazy April, um, as you. I think you've heard from uh, previous podcasts. We got some sad news uh, several weeks ago. Our beloved spiritual mm-hmm. father, Father Raymond Gronsky, passed um, from uh, a very short bout with with esophageal cancer. And uh, we were back home for the funeral, and uh, a beautiful, beautiful experience, kind of like a seminary reunion, over 50 priests there, uh, four bishops, and a lot of people who came to honor the life of a man and pray for his soul, but uh, yeah. who was uh, uh, just a really amazing Christian. So Absolutely. Father John gave a wonderful homily. Thank you. That we were very appreciative yeah, of. Yeah, thank you. Honored him well. And I think the whole event, um, it was so noble and beautiful and profound. There's there's so much richness to the liturgy. I know we've talked a little bit about yeah. um, appreciating the the rituals around death um, that Catholic life provides that really help us to mourn and to also hope. Yeah, it was interesting. The um, I found the liturgy was um, helped me to articulate what I was feeling, you know. See, mm. we prayed the Office of the Dead together. We had the wake service. We had the 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 funeral, the burial, the whole, and it really helped to facilitate that. So I was just so grateful that we're for the Catholic liturgy and for the opportunity to do that. So to Father Goronsky, yes, a very fine and, and good priest. Hold on, so let me grab my glass. Grab your glass. Time. Yeah, we'll raise a glass to uh, Father Goronsky. Cheers. Hey, cheers. Aguri. And uh, for those of you who listen to the podcast, this man has uh, deeply formed who we are and kind of even the approach and the feel for how we go about things in priestly life. Our humanity, he he formed it deeply. So today's also, um, if uh, he wouldn't have passed 18 years ago, my grandfather, Papa Laddie. Yeah, that's right. His 99th birthday today. Congratulations. Yeah, and so uh, shout out to him. He, uh, I have these kind of this nightmare that happened about five years ago where I remember doing a saxophone solo during his funeral and uh, when I was 14, and I was like, oh wow. Oh yeah. I was probably really bad at the saxophone too, and uh, so. It's a know. beautiful gift, though. You I know, don't know just what. Just like a little Kenny G squeaker. A little Kenny G. Squeaker song. Alto sax squeaker. Oh, man. I, I don't know. I don't know what was going out. on there, but uh, but somebody let somebody said yes, he can do that. I don't know if I would say yes to 14-year-old Johnny who wanted to do a saxophone solo. I don't it think is, Father Goronsky would have liked that. Nice. Either, like, there was probably not a dry eye in the house. <laughs> <laughs> for a different they reason. Were all I probably or I, crying. I could have pulled out the saxophone uh, for Father Goronsky. I don't think he would have liked that though. No, just, just it wasn't a, his style. Just kind of a gut feeling on that. Yeah. You know, he might have been laughing. Yeah. I tell you what, though, I, one thing with this whole um, 
kind of experience of death. This is really the first time that I've been super close to someone who's died, and it's been very difficult. Um, but uh, one of the, the the kind of problems I'm confronting for the first time is the mystery of death. Like, what happens now? Yeah. Where is he? Yeah, what where happened? is he? You know, I've got this whole theological training. I'm well-trained in uh, our theology about judgment and afterlife and the philosophy of kind of the in, incorporeal uh, soul and immor- immortality. And uh, it's still enough to just make me wonder what is going on with this guy right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think ultimately it comes down to, to faith in, in the message of Jesus. Here's someone who has died, has come back and says, I can provide for you on the other side. Right. Uh, there is something there, and I will help you there. Right. So, I don't know, that's a little homily, but... No, I like it. I, <laughs> I mean, it, it really gives me comfort to know that somebody's been uh, been there to that other side. And right. it's not just wishful thinking for us, because I always am a little bit suspe- suspicious of people turning, making uh, wishful thinking into religion. Yeah, yeah. And that's what a lot of it is, I think, even in Christian culture. And um, I watched this really bad movie on the plane called Breakpoint, Point Break, something like that. And it's oh, all yeah. these extreme athletes who were also like uh, criminals. And they would always say, see you soon, when they died. And then they would fall off some cliff. or Oh, yeah, it's a remake. I, I watched that the when origi- I was a kid. Little Billy and I liked that movie. Oh, the original? They would rob banks yeah, and yeah, do yeah. extreme stuff. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's not but a very see you good, soon. it's not a recommended movie. See you soon. It was like, what? And then they would die. That was the final words. Oh, and yeah, I was just like, such a weird... Why? Yeah, what are you talking about? So, anyways, I'm, I'm with you on that. So Yeah. But today, we're, we're talking about... Uh, oh, wait, can I, before we get off of the death topic... Yes, go I, for it. I was going to go to life in a second. This is a, but, uh, this is a Catholic audience. Yes. I just wanted to ask for your prayers. Uh, ask for your prayers for our friend who has died, uh, Christians or Catholics pray for our uh, beloved dead. And um, so if you want to give a gift to your your uh, beloved fathers here on Catholic stuff, then, um, yeah, say a rosary for Father Gronsky and Papa Laddie. Thank you. Yeah, we um, appreciate that. Offer a mass for them, whatever yeah. you can do. Yeah, Thanks. thank you. Well, that was probably our most sober banter yeah, ever. Yeah, well, I'm kind of... But we're... It's we're, still heavy on me, you know? We're a blend of grief and jet lag and... Um, academic uh, deadlines about to crush us here as yeah. we kind of come back. So Getting into the that's thick our, of, our thick of life. that's our warning before stepping into a very uh, kind of uh, spicy topic. Oh, um, yes. And I f- this afternoon I felt like I was like in the locker room before a big hockey game. Getting that's kind of how I felt about Getting this topic because I was like, oh, we're going to we're going to. We're gonna get some uh, uh, some responses for this one, which I is could what we see like. It. I we could like see it in your eyes. You could when see it in the started. Eyes. Yeah, you could see it. Yeah. So I get uh, kind of excited. So just blame the grief, blame the jet lag, blame whatever. Um, if you are just totally disgusted by this topic, but we're gonna kind of run through the minefield here. How does that sound? Let's do it and see if we uh, step on any landmines. Oh, so it's a beautiful topic. Thank you. The, and, and the I, reason I'm very for, excited about the it. reason for the topic is that Mother's Day is approaching. Yeah, and we live. On the uh, an ocean across from our moms, so we can't, you know, come over on Mother's Day and bring them flowers. So this is our little, our little thank you to our moms. Oh, to Mama. Oh, to Mama. Dear Mama, as Tupac famously wrote, which we hope Becca will make uh, into the uh, introduction uh, to this. Uh, our, our good friend uh, Tupac, who lives right as Sunit. So say. Mother's Day. What are we doing? Mother's Day. So we want to honor our moms who are stay-at-home moms. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about today. 
Nancy Rap for me. Nancy Rap, Mary Nepple, and uh, we love our stay-at-home moms. And uh, so we're going to talk about that in particular here for the next uh, however many minutes, hopefully uh, not too long, and hopefully in a really balanced way. Uh, the topic was meant to be provocative, and there's already people who are listening to this thinking um, the walls kind of go up. Whoa, whoa, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? Stay-at-home you know? mom. Stay-at-home mom. There's two ways you could say that, as I told you before. It could be stay-at-home mom, or it could be... Yeah, with the exclamation point. Stay-at-home mom. End. And we're focusing on the latter. This yeah. is not, you better stay at home, mom. This is here's, stay, here's, our stay at home mom. We love our stay at home moms. Here's some good stuff about stay at home moms. Here's some good stuff about stay at home moms. Um, and that's what we want to talk about today. So, um, b- but before we get into that, there's going to be a peasant revolt that I am leading this topic, and it's not love pride. And I just have to give a disclaimer to them and uh, all of you people who are just fuming right now because you're like, why are we talking about their moms? I want to hear this love pride. We've been waiting 16 months for this thing. What you got to understand about this podcast is that we don't have a list of topics that we yeah. have prepared. Now, the Love Pride one will come out, and hopefully it'll be good, but this is an organic thing. So we kind of pray, yeah, yeah, we like live, that. and so I promise you it'll come out at He's, some point. I, I, and I assure you that I hear about it enough that mm-hmm. it's on his mind. It's not like thinking about forgotten. It. I'm waiting for the right time. We'll just leave it at that, and because uh, that's a that's another big one, and we want to do it well. So these things kind but of today, ferment. Today is for the mothers. Today's for mom, and so um, we're going to talk about stay-at-home moms and uh, why we love them and why we think this is a really good thing. Uh, but before we do that, um, first I want to talk about what we're not going to say in this podcast. Okay, so number one, okay, this is what not we're not say. saying. We're talking we're talking about how great our stay-at-home moms were, how much we love them. But this is what we're not saying. Women do not have a place in the workplace. That's number one. We're not saying that. that yep. Women should not be working. We're going to get emails saying, why are you telling me I should not be working? We're not saying that at all. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, number two. Uh, we're not saying that kids are better automatically if mom stays at home, right? right? I know really screwed up kids who had stay-at-home moms and really great kids who had working moms, you know? And right. that's a distinction we're and going to talk about in a second. Really we don't really... a whole lot of need to argue statistics or something. Right, right. Sociological surveys. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of the two most important things. Is like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of practicals to consider when you're looking at this question of the relationship between work and family life and the balance, and that's hard. And we are the last people who can do that because we're not married and we don't have families, and we're not moms, so we yeah. we're not faced with this. But what we want to do as a Bible guy and a theology guy is kind of present some cultural things that we're seeing and then talk about the deeper theological things so that you can hopefully reflect a little more deeply as a family um, or as a mom about what you're doing and how to go about this. Nice. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. So I think that's well said. I mean, it, it, it's just to say that we're sensitive to the fact that this um, is... Uh, well, a sensitive subject, right? And that it's a very important thing and a difficult decision for a lot of people. So we don't mean it to be a judgment on anybody. Absolutely. So, um, if you were going to take a guess, Mike, what percentage of women in the in the culture in 1967 were staying at home, and what percentage stayed at home in 1999? Just throw a just number a at guess. me. Guess. I have th- no idea. I mean, I'm just guessing, like. Uh, well, it was probably. It was probably. I'm going to guess 80 percent in '76, right? And 20 percent now. So it was just under 70 percent in the mid 1960s, 
1999, it hit its all-time low. This is according to a Pew study. Um, when is that, 89? 89, okay. at uh, 23% in 1999, but it's been on the rise since then. Oh, yeah? It's up to about 29% uh, stay-at-home moms in the United States, of American moms. Do they analyze why that is? Do they think there's uh, there was some, some things sort of on it. I didn't really read it, honestly. I just looked at the numbers. And uh, so anyways, okay. one in three moms in the United States would be classified as stay-at-home moms. And uh, so hmm. it certainly has declined in the last... Uh, in the last uh, 50 years. But again, it's something's on the rise, and that's what's interesting to, to kind yeah. of consider. There's something... I think that's more than I would have expected. Yeah, exactly. It's more than I, I think as well. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means, how they define it. You know, if you're a teacher and you have, you go in for, you know, I don't know, two days a week or something, are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you a nurse and you do three shifts a week? I don't know yeah, what that I means. So, so it's kind of hard to know. Um, but that's just, it's just something that's important to first recognize. There's been a cultural shift. The first thing we want to talk about here is the culture, and then we'll get into the theology and the Bible on as much time as we have on mm-hmm. it. But culturally, with the rise of um, modern feminism, secular feminism, there's been this rejection um, towards the uh, women in the home as this place mm-hmm. of slavery, as this place of um, conditioning women, of telling them what they need to do. And there's been a real cultural rejection of that. So much so that we would go, in some ways we've gone to the extreme, where I think people like my sister, um, who's 27, I think, 27, 28, 27, her birthday's coming up, um, and my friend Maggie, who's you know uh, same age or something like that, um, they would be looked at as weird yeah. for being... In their mid twenties, with kids, married, staying at home, yeah, like that that they get treated as kind of like really is that really right like the best decision? Now so, again, yeah, sorry. Well, it's just like if this is a sign of the emancipation of women, this is your freedom, right? That you know you have this great gift of being able to slave at the Taco Johns or whatever, yeah. Um, that uh, it's it's looked down on to a certain extent in society, and that's a real shame. I mean, that's really hard for those of us who are grateful for right. the, our mothers who stayed at home. And um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's worth defending. You know? And I think that's the main reason we're doing this podcast is because we want to defend that and we want to say, no way, what you're doing is work, and it's actually um, the most beautiful work that can be done because you're, you're cultivating humanity, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, Father Nathan Goebel just called. Sorry, dude. We're not going to take that call. Not down. I came across a, a quote from Frederick Engels. So he kind of co-partnered with Karl Marx to found communism, which I think has uh, a lot of that kind of revolutionary spirit worked into the feminist movement. Um, and he said, quote from Engels, he said, the family is an oppressive structure to women. The f- wow. Isn't that interesting? The family is an, is an oppressive structure to women. There's a lot of that in our culture. Wow, yeah. That says that, you know, this poor woman who has to carry this child and then gets stuck with the child, and the dad kind of, you know, is kind of laying around anyways, she gets stuck with the burdens of this family. And it's been the oppressing family. her for all, all centuries, and now we finally are overcoming that, and we've, you know, I don't know, changed the power struggles and open, emancipated all this different stuff. And we're kind of like... Is it really? Is that really? Yeah, that's a shame. Structure? I mean, it makes the, the family sound terrible. Mm-hmm. It makes the participation of everybody else somehow kind of worthless. All the responsibility is on the on the mother. 
And then it makes it sound like it's oppressing mothers to be yeah. interested in the family. Exactly, exactly. And then, like, what what else is... I, I mean, I, I know that I disagree with Engel's uh, values and ultimately his value being sort of government and society as the, the last end of man. But um, that's just kind of... Um, very apparent in that sort of a quote. Right. It's like, what, what's life about? Right. It's obviously not about relationships, love, people. No, it's about something else for him. Well, it's about work. And that's the key with, with Marxism and Engels as well, is that, you know, work is what defines the dignity of the person. Mm. It's not inherent. It just depends on how much you can produce, how much you can do. Production, yeah. So as Christians, we say, no way. A person is inherently has inherent dignity. Uh, work is work has dignity, and work is really important. But it, I don't find my dignity in my work, you know. Which and what that means is that the family then becomes the foundational structure of society, whereby dignity is protected and and developed of a person. And Nathan, quit calling me. This is the third phone call. Good lord, he's just sitting in uh, Illinois right now. He's probably having a beer with his dad. I'm like. He keeps calling my phone. He's on a fishing trip. He's on a fishing trip. He's not catching much, I guess. But that's the, you can see how that works out. You know, As Catholics, we very clearly say, family's number one. Work is important because it serves the family. Right. Yeah, the, the whole opposite order there. And so Priorities. The, so, the fa- so the parents, the spouses, have a responsibility and a right to discern the role of work for their family. Yeah. They got to figure out you how that works. You could think of it, maybe, maybe think of it like this too, is um, you would rather be working, but you have obligations to the family. Right. Like otherwise you would work all the time. Or you do your work so that you can be with your family. Right. And whatever, provide for them or right. whatever it is. But where's the priority? Right. You know? And again, we say, we hear this and we think, yeah. I mean, people are going to listen to this and think, yeah, but... Look at your family life and look at American family life. It's super dysfunctional because of American workaholism. And yeah. then plus my whipping boy, the, the fact that the average American watches 40 hours of television a week, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, no wonder why our families are falling apart. We got to get back to the basics here and back to the foundation. And, one, and that means that the parents really have to be discerning about what is this going to look like for our family? And there's a lot of factors they got to consider in that. Yeah. It's going to look really different around financially, where are we living, how does this look, cost of living questions. But here's, a, here's another thing I got, and this is kind of a little beef. You know, I've, I've done a lot of marriage prep over the last five years, and um, they, always have, they always know what they're going to do when they go into marriage. And one of the things I would try and work on is to say, can you get to a place of a little more openness to what God might be asking of you? Mm. instead of this is my career or this is what she's going to do or this is what I'm going to do and this is how it's going to work. And then we're going to try and figure out kids in light of that. Right, exactly. 90, Everybody's got their 90% plans. 90% of my couples, they got their plan already. And kids are usually five years out, you know, and uh, as long as the kids don't compromise the careers, then everything's cool. Yeah. And that is just a really screwed up way to start your family life. It's yeah. everything's backwards, and, well, and it's going to be really hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, classically, you get married because you, 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 everyone wants to have children yeah. and wants to raise children yeah. and wants to have a family, and uh, and so you look forward to this happening as soon as possible, and then uh, and also this being the commitment. I'm choosing this other person because well, I get to I get to raise children with them. Right. Um, we get to have a family. 
or rather than now I think I mean there's a value in this romantic love thing but it's sort of like I found the person who satisfies me and then I well I can keep living all, my awesome all life. kinds of other things that satisfy me yeah and then when a child satisfies me yeah. you know it's, it's just kind of I mean that that simplifies it oversimplifies it right but, um, and, like, and that's just a question of where did where do the priorities fall? Where the priorities fall, and and do we really trust God enough to, to desire to be led? In, like really with indifference. You and I are trained in the Ignatian thing. We love we love Saint Saint Ignatius of Loyola, and he's big on indifference, not in the sense of you don't have any desires, but just that you trust God enough to where you surrender your desires. Mm. So could you actually go into marriage saying, I desire to keep my career as a woman, but I'm I'm praying for the grace to be open to either to yeah. surrender it or to do it. Yeah, I know what I, sounds, I know what I want to I mean, do. That I know really what I want to do. You don't know when you're going to get kids or whatever. Yeah. But that's the kind of that's the kind of Christian uh, approach to things to just that kind of deep confidence that God's providence that God has a plan for our marriage and that it's a better plan than ours, you know. Yeah. And one of the things I would always tell them is when I got ordained I got my dream parish and it was really hard. It was a yeah. really difficult two years. And then I got sent to my worst nightmare parish, and it was it was incredible. Yeah. And the lesson I learned was, I actually don't know what I want. Right. This is a lot of um, just living life and then discerning how to be holy and faithful in with whatever God sends us. Mm-hmm. And we, th- we like to think that we have um, ultimate control over everything. But and we So de- that discernment's yeah. important. I've seen a lot of parents who reassess things when they have kids. And that's a beautiful thing to see. It's like one of those earth-shattering moments. Mm-hmm. Like if you go through a, a death, like we've just gone through a death of a loved one, it really changes perspective about life and what do I care about, what am I interested in. Um, when you have big events happen, one of those is um, having children. Yeah. And I've seen a, a whole reassessment of, of life and its priorities around children. As Father Chris Lebsock always says, nature never Lies, right? True, never and lies. there's something about the child that just evoke it brings us back to reality. And you see that happening um, in every family in some way. And that's the beauty of just the natural life, you know, and God works through that. So I think that's true. I think it's a kind of a natural reassessment that happens. But um, yeah, that discernment, that's kind of a big thing. I think culturally it's just missing. We're, we love control. We're becoming masters of control. We've got contraceptives now to make sure that we can control even regulate our sexuality, childbirth, everything's in control, and we're miserable. And uh, Or we live in fear yeah. of the expectations of society. Right. I, I think a lot of the d- these decisions are made because I'm afraid of persecution from people. Yeah. And that's real. I mean, I, I acknowledge that that is that's really a painful thing, but um, it's there's also a nobility in saying, I'm not living my life according to right. you know, what people are going to think. Right. And... I don't know, it takes a lot of courage to you know, stand up against that anyway. Yeah. Okay, you ready to nerd out on theology? Um, yes, you are. I know you are. Yeah, I mean, you I was hoping thought? at some point, well, maybe at the end of the shout-outs, we can tell a little bit of story about yeah. Nancy. Okay, let's wait um, and uh, give me six minutes. Okay, and then And then I will uh, defer to uh, some stories, and then we'll wrap this thing up. How does that sound? The mother of God was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Now, mm-hmm. some people would scoff at that and say, "Yeah, that's because she grew up in a pre-industrial society, you know, that was patriarchal, and she didn't have a choice." Yeah, well, guess what? You know, God's revelation and His universal salvation is not contingent upon historical 
facts. It like happened. That. Yeah, it happened if then Mar- because God wanted it to happen. Mary would not be a kick kick butt lawyer downtown right now. Uh, there's something about Mary that's like this is mm. this is fitting. This is her work. This is her life, and uh, at, this was her mission as the mother of God. So it was very conducive to that. So I just want to reflect uh, three quick points on why I think it's beautiful that God chose um, a stay-at-home mom to be his mom. Yeah. And again, Let's this is it. we live in a culture where you can't affirm anything without giving everybody else a gold star. So if you're not a stay-at-home mom, <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything bad here. I'm just pointing to a theological reality that I find interesting, yeah. and I want to unpack three things really about you the... You could f- just see it as the beauty of motherhood. It, this is about the beauty of motherhood. This is three facts about absolutely why your vocation as a mother is unbelievable, and it transcends anything anything you could ever find in the workplace, all right? Number one, feminine genius, John Paul II. Yeah. What is the feminine genius? Do you remember? Like a definition? Yeah, you got it? No, I just remember the documents. The abilities, dignitas. I remember making fun of the feminine genius with Margaret Stortz way back in the day, and I said, I think the feminine genius is the ability to multitask, and uh, because women can multitask. Oh, like that is a feminine genius. And she said, you're such an idiot. She said, the feminine genius is the ability to bear, one's, to bear life within you. Ah. So there's something about the genius of the woman that she can bear life within her, right? That she can actually carry another life. And it's such a simple thing, but it's such an amazing thing. Like the genius of woman begins in that reality that their whole bodies, their whole body, their whole soul, everything is conditioned for this act. They're made for this. Mm. And, and it changes the way that they do everything. You know, when we go home for the funeral, these women are unbelievable. I mean, you know, I call my mom and I'm like, I want to have these 30 people over for this brunch. Bam, she pulls off this like just kind of unbelievable thing. It's just she creates a culture where life can flourish. Yeah. And it's the life yeah. of community, of friendship. But the feminine genius, because of the nature of the body and it's written into that, it it affects every action that they do. Whether they're married, not married, it doesn't particularly matter. There's something in the feminine that's just conditioned for that. Yeah. Towards life. You exist for life. So much so that Eva in the Hebrew, or yes. that's the Greek. No, Eva is the... Eva is the Hebrew of Eve. Zoe is, Zoe. Zoe is Greek, yeah. When it translates into the Greek, <clears throat> But right? they both mean life. Life. Yeah. The, Adam looks at the woman and he says, your name is life. Right? Yeah. That's incredible to think about. Yeah, she's the giver of life. She's the giver of life. And it's true. I think that's like a... It's a biological reality and kind of an archetype traditionally. But it's just, it's just an existential reality for most of us. When you, have, when you meet women, um, you you can uh, sense their interest in um, in giving life, in nesting. You see them nesting yeah. sometimes. You yeah. see um, just the care and um, the, yeah, that's the, the feminine genius there. Attached to the bio- biology, but not necessarily defined by it. There's much more to the, to the person. Right. So that's number one. Feminine genius mm-hmm. says to us, there's something different about the way that moms are are doing this thing because they are so deeply identified with the very concept of life itself and I, you see that in every in every woman but especially in every mom number 2 I was reading this guy Louis Bouillet you know Louis Bouillet I've heard the name good little dogmatic theologian and he was talking about Mary's maternity and he 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 this line I read yesterday was really striking he talked about the fundamental community Christ's fundamental community so Jesus in his human nature his fundamental community his first community in life was Mary in the womb. Mm. Every human being, their fundamental community is with the mother in the womb. 
So for the first nine months of everyone's the existence, first person, you, know. you are in relationship, literally in side, in the belly, as Jackson, my two-year-old nephew would say, right, um, of, the, uh, of a woman. And so there's something about amazing about the role of a mother to provide that fundamental community for a human being mm. and to bring them into life in those early months. And mothers know, they know this, they can sense this. I mean, there's something amazing about pregnancy and it's difficult and there's a lot of puking, I think. But um, there's something about you have created the first community and the most important community and the mm. most intimate community that this human being will ever experience. Yeah. And that's why it's crazy when your job gives you six weeks to transition that human being out of the fundamental community into the rest of its life. And your work makes you feel like, hey, we gave you six weeks, you know? Yeah. Maternity leave. That's nice, but... Right, and there can be depression even related just to the the separation. Exactly, of the two people, even, yeah. even when they're close, and they, they remain close. Balthazar has a, a bit about um, how we wake up to consciousness in the eyes of our mother. Perfect. Know? That's number three. Is that number three? You got it. Okay. We're running out of time, I, though. It's that perfect. First community. Explain it, though. That's perfect. It's just simply that we don't know ourselves as a self. We're so connected with the mother that we don't know ourselves as a separate person, like a, 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 a self, until we see uh, the eyes of the other person. Um, but in just the beauty of nature, uh, that first person that we... Uh, encounter is the mother's eyes, the person who's loved us for nine months and been so close to us and protecting us and nourishing us, um, is the one who brings us into a consciousness of ourself. Then we realize, oh, I'm different than this other thing. But um, yeah, that's how we develop our whole self. Yeah, that's it. And that is uh, one of my, that's one of my favorite of Balthazar's uh, gems is, yeah, the, the human consciousness arises in the experience of the other. So that the child, like you are saying, the child knows the other exists before the child knows I exist. Mm-hmm. And that other is love. So the first thing the child experiences upon being born is being held and being that there is love. He knows love before he knows mm. or she knows himself. And that's just amazing to consider. And Balthazar ties this into the whole experience of... of um, of the faith and of the kind of the, the, the natural kind of um, relationality of, of human existence. But that in itself is astonishing. And to think of the nobility of motherhood, especially in those early years, Father Chris Lebsock said that recently. He said, you know, the, we spend the rest of our lives trying to work out what happened in the first three years. Yeah, what happened? Why don't I have that anymore? Which I got a lot to work out, obviously. And you're, you're the primary yeah. uh, victim of that. But... Um, I think that the yeah uh, to see a mother um, who has really suffered and who has uh, maybe suffered through pregnancy and then has really surrendered uh, what the world sees and holds to be good, surrendered it for the sake of this very intimate and very hidden work, um, which is to allow this child to uh, come into being, so to speak, mm. the work of educating humanity. Education, not in the sense of teaching him the alphabet and numbers, but educating them how to be a human being, the mm-hmm. human heart. That's that's the work of a mother and a father, but in a very particular way, the mom. So yeah. all this to say, stay at home moms. It's not really just stay at home. It's the greatest of works. Yeah. It's the greatest of jobs. And um, I would argue that it's not necessary for mom to stay at home, but it certainly is fitting 
in the sense of uh, it's fitting because the mother of Jesus did, and it's fi- it, it just works. It, it fits with yeah. the work itself. The feminine it's, genius. It's not necessary. It's not required. You're not bad if you, if you don't do it or you can't do it, but damn, it's a good thing if yeah, you do. Women are good at forming human beings, mm-hmm. forming them to be good human beings. Mm-hmm. Everybody claims to be good these days. Oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Well, you meet people <coughs> who are better at being friends, easier to socialize with, uh, more uh, pleasant to be around. Most of these people have had a good formation from human beings. Mm-hmm. It's just human formation. And that's what we receive when we're children. And yep. it takes good parents yep. to kind of form people well. So thank you, Nancy Rapp, because you that's did a right. good job with Father Thanks, Mike. Nancy. So tell us a story from Nancy. Well, I was just going to thank the her for, for a few things. I love her laugh, especially when... She gets laughing so hard that she can't control it, and she's crying and kind of like uh, becomes silent again. Uh, I'm really grateful for uh, poached eggs that she would make early in the mornings. And then uh, one memory I had just reminiscing for uh, in preparation for this is that my mother would always wake up early, and before anybody was up, she would always be in her chair uh, praying and reading scripture. Mm. And I never, it wasn't about me, you know, that wasn't about me, but... I really, really, really value that memory of uh, that good example and um, just learning that that's valuable to pray and to be quiet and studious. So that's paying off now, or yeah. I hope I'm doing you, doing you she right. She got a scripture scholar out uh, of it, Just yeah. one, one of many things to thank Mom for. I think uh, when I think of my mom and this Mother's Day, I, she is just the absolute best... Um, when it comes to just like this kind of consistent, joyful presence, she's just always, always um, seeing the best in people and, and reaching out to people. Just has this kind of sense to do that. And she does it um, in ways that nobody nobody uh, really sees. Like, for example, mm-hmm. I went home and brought all this, had this laundry we've been traveling in. I had holes in my um, elbows. Oh, yeah. And I got back to Rome and she had stitched them up. But she didn't say anything. She just put them back in the suitcase, and they were all stitched up. And it was just little things like that that I, uh, she's been doing her whole life, and she does it uh, never. I'm always in great, ungrateful, and um, and she never never complains. Just kind of always just really happy to see it. And moms are just so perceptive, you know. Yeah. I think of I remember when I was a kid, she could like sense when I wasn't feeling well, and she would just be in my room in the yeah, middle of the night, yeah, you know. Exactly. And uh, it continues to do that. And when you're a priest, mom, you kind of never lose your mom. Yeah. You never, it, she's still buying my pants and you know, things like that. Yeah. So I, look out for it's it. a special relationship for us as priests with our moms. We're there, we're kind of in a very particular with them for the rest of their life. And uh, because Jesus was with, with his mom. Jesus' mom was the only one who was with him from the, from the minute he was conceived until uh, the minute he died. And I think about that a lot. She was the only one who That's walked with him through his whole life. And so, right. so it's May. It's Mary's month. We're both mama's boys. That's right. We love our moms. Pray Mother, rosaries. Mother's Day thank is coming mothers. up. And uh, yeah, tonight we, uh, we toast and we thank God for uh, stay-at-home moms in a very special way. But all moms um, in gratitude for what they do to us. So cheers. Yeah. Thank you, God, for mothers. Let's close it up with some shout-outs. You got any off the top of your head? I'll start. How does that sound? Tom and yeah, Joanna Schultzenberg. Mm-hmm. Schultzenberg. 
um, from you and the You Mary crew, who you are uh, acquainted with. You know Tom. Yeah, I do. Enjoy it. Wonderful. And so, uh, happy Mother's Day to Joanna. That's this is like two weeks in advance. When have we ever done anything early? This is the first time ever. But uh, and then our friend Hannah Wilson down in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, says she's listening to the podcast and her brother and her family. So a special Mother's Day greeting to her mom, Mrs. Wilson, who we all, all right. love. Right. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, Grace Jacobs and Nolan Cleary, who are engaged. Uh, that was my other one I wanted to say. Aguri. I do have one. Okay. I would like to shout out the whole St. Francis Cabrini Parish in Littleton, Colorado. Is it Littleton? Yes. Is it Littleton? Yeah, Littleton. Yeah, Littleton. Anyway, Cabrini, um, when I was home for this funeral, I um, had the the joy of joining Father Nathan for a mass, and there were a lot of people who came up and thanked me for the podcast afterwards. So um, just to thank you for listening and for your support. It was great to meet you all. That's good. Well... Hopefully we don't get any hate mail for uh, this one. No, love I love think pride it's, will yeah, come. It's very informative. But uh, it's my idea is to think about mom. That's right. So um, I think that's it for uh, for this week. Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. And uh, you got anything else to say? No. Happy, happy Mother's Day. Happy uh, feast of Philip and James. Happy feast of Philip and James.